All right, you guys, so longevity. When I say that word, what do you think of? Many of you might be thinking of living a really long time. Maybe you wanna to live to 100, maybe you wanna to live to 120. When I think of longevity, I personally think of living to, let's say 85, like a badass rock star. I wanna look good, I wanna feel good, I wanna perform good, I want my brain intact, I want my hormones balanced. That's my personal idea of longevity. So I decided to talk about how to age like a rock star, not gracefully, age like a rock star on here all the time. <laughs> so I wanted, right? I wanted to bring on my dear friend, Dr. Stephanie Gray, because she has a blueprint for longevity. So let me tell you about her and then we are gonna get into just all kinds of good stuff, all kinds of good stuff today. So Stephanie Gray, Dr. Stephanie Gray, is a functional medicine provider who helps men and women build sustainable and optimal health and longevity so that they can focus on what matters most to them. We all want to do that. She helps women in midlife who feel like their bodies have betrayed them step back into their bodies by restoring optimal hormone levels so they can regain their sleep, their figure, mood. Feel amazing once again. That's what we talk about on here all the time. So I love it. I love it. She is known for keeping hormone replacement therapy sexy, safe, and effective. Ladies, we're going to talk about this today because you ask me all the time about hormone replacement therapy. We are going to break some myths down today. She's been working as a nurse practitioner since 2009. She completed her doctorate focusing on estrogen metabolism from the University of Iowa in 2012. Additionally, she has a master's in metabolic nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida's medical school. Her expertise lies within integrative anti-aging and functional medicine, right up my alley. She's arguably one of the Midwest most credentialed female healthcare providers, combining many certifications and trainings. She completed an advanced fellowship in anti-aging, regenerative, and functional medicine in 2013. She became the first BioT certified provider in Iowa to administer hormone pellets in 2013. She's appeared on numerous podcasts, summits, TV interviews. She has written many things for Mind Body Green. She is the initial author of the FNP Mastery app and an Amazon best selling author of her book, Your Longevity Blueprint. She's host of Your Longevity <laughs> Blueprint podcast and co founder of Your Longevity Blueprint. Nutraceuticals with her husband, Eric, and they enjoy spending time outdoors with their son, William, which I see on Facebook all the time. He's so damn cute. They founded the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic in Hiawatha, Iowa. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound 
Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So Steph, thank you so much for being on here today. Thanks for welcoming to the show. That was an awesome intro. I want to age like a rock star too. I want to keep my hair and my brain and my vision and my bones, <laughs> right? I want to age like a rock star too. So let's get into it. That's the plan. That's the plan. So you are a functional medicine practitioner and my listeners hear me say functional medicine, functional medicine, conventional medicine, conventional medicine, sick medicine, conventional medicine all the time. I've never given them a breakdown of the two. I complain about the one, but I never give them a breakdown. So can you start off by just what is the difference between functional medicine and conventional? Yeah, I'll give you an analogy that I used in my in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. So it's all about building longevity, right? Building a healthy home or healthy body per se. So in the book in chapter one, I kind of talk about the fireman versus the carpenter approach. So I would say sick medicine, unfortunately, right? Conventional medicine is more like the fire department. And there are two tools or an ax and a hose. And we need those tools to put out fires, right? To treat emergencies. This nation has amazing emergency rooms, right? So if you get hit by a car, you have something big, bad, ugly happened, you have a fire, you need the fire department to put that fire out. And that's what conventional medicine is, but that's a little different from functional medicine. So with functional medicine, I describe my approach and your approach more to care as being more the contractor to help repair and rebuild the body. We want to figure out where that dysfunction lies, figure out why the illness is occurring and get to the root cause of the problem. A lot of patients, when they're discharged from the hospital after having a heart attack, they're not always taught where the faulty circuitry was that caused that fire, right? They're not taught how to prevent future fires. And that's what we try to do with functional medicine, prevent the fires, but also rebuild the house after the fire has happened. Oh my goodness. I love analogies. So that's right up my alley. I love that. That really breaks it down and actually makes it easy to understand. All right. So we know the difference between functional and conventional and we know, and, and I always say this too, and I'm sure Stephanie will agree in conventional medicine, it's an insurance-based model so mm -hmm. that you really only have five to seven minutes with each person. Yep. And that's where I personally am in my practice and what I see get so frustrated because people will come in, they'll say, well, I'm going to try this doctor and I'm going to try that doctor. And it's still, you're still jumping to people that are really contained to that five to seven minute visit. They can't go outside of that because they're already overbooked and double booked through the day. And they want to get home to their family at the end of the day too, not at 10 o'clock at night. Functional medicine allows for time. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a, another big differentiation as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with you. I have patients who've seen lots of different specialists and they could see GI, they can see a neurologist, they can see a cardiologist, right? And maybe they're only having to pay their copay or whatnot, but nobody's putting all the puzzle pieces together to figure out, well, maybe it was gluten sensitivity that caused not only the GI issues, but also the headaches and the palpitations and, you know, like whatnot. I think functional medicine does a really good job of being the detective and taking the time to put all those pieces together. And that ultimately saves patients money and a heck of a lot of time. They don't, they shouldn't need to see various specialists when they're seeing a functional medicine provider, that is their specialist who can hopefully put, you know, connect the, connect the dots, whatnot. All the dots. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in your, obviously on here, we talk a ton about hormones, mm -hmm. thyroid hormones, thyroid hormones. So where do hormones fit into your functional medicine analogy of functional medicine being like the, the contractor and you're, you're literally like building up 
a house. Yeah, so maybe I'll rewind a bit and, and explain that and then go on to hormones. So within my book, what I was trying to do, kind of what you're trying to portray for your audience today, I was trying to make an easy analogy for them to realize like how they actually can repair and rebuild their body. And so many of us know how to take care of our homes, right? We're making sure our plumbing's not getting clogged up. We, we take hair out of our drains. We might mow the lawn. We change our furnace filters. There are these things that we innately do to keep our house in good shape, right? So it's gonna last us a long time and we're not gonna have to spend more money on the house. But we don't always intuitively know what to do for our body. And so I thought, okay, well, if I teach patients through my own kind of health crisis, I had to figure out how to rebuild my body. And then I thought, let's map this out and share this with patients. So one of the chapters is all about the heating and cooling system of the home, right? Which I'm comparing to our endocrine system. That's where hormones fit in, right? You don't wanna be, cold all the time, have cold fingers and cold toes. You don't have hot flashes either. (laughs) So when I'm, when I'm helping patients optimize that their heating and cooling system, I want them to think, okay, this is important in my home, but this is also important for my body. And then separately, I continue to do that through the book, comparing every organ system in the body to a certain aspect of the home. For instance, chapter one is all about gut health. And I know you talk about that on your show as well. Mm -hmm. You can't build a house on a poor foundation and you can't build full body health without a, a good gastrointestinal foundation. So I just start through the book, helping patients know how they should be maintaining their homes going organ system by organ system, AKA kind of aspect of that home to to aspect of that home. But heating and cooling system is chapter six. And that's the one that I think we'll spend a lot of time on today. I like it. Oh, I love that you broke it down into like the chapters match the different components of the home. I love that. That's so cool. I wanted to make it simple, simple because honestly, functional medicine can sound really complex and really overwhelming. And with functional medicine, I mean, you spend a lot of time on your show talking about the importance of comprehensive thyroid labs. And we're going to talk about labs today, I'm sure, with sex hormones. But there are labs for, I just want the listeners to know, there are functional medicine labs for every organ system in your body that your provider probably doesn't know about. Just like how your provider may not know the importance of optimizing T3 and looking at thyroid antibodies and reverse T3. Those are extremely important for this organ system, but there are functional medicine labs that can be ordered for every every organ system in your body. They exist. You just have to find that contractor, that functional medicine provider to order them for you. Yes, exactly. And then you have all the answers. So, all right, chapter six, hormones. So this is really where I'm talking about the adrenals. You talk a lot about that thyroid, right? And then ovarian and even testicular function for men. Well, the reason why I want to do sex hormones is because off camera, you and I talked about, and I I mentioned this in the beginning, I get a ton of women mainly asking me about bioidentical hormone replacement Mm -hmm. therapy and is it safe? And they've already been, they've, they've either heard from their friends that it's not safe, their doctor who is not updated on anything new in the research tells them that it's not safe. Or even if they've already had cancer or breast cancer, they're so scared of anything hormonal. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I want to dive into hormones today because I think that's really, really important specifically to touch on the safety, but we have to break down some things, some topics about hormones first. Well, let's go there. So that that's huge in my practice. Also, patients come here wanting to age well. And I, as you read in my bio, right, optimizing hormones is a huge part of aging well. But the first thing patients always ask me, they say, don't hormones always cause cancer? And I'll tell you my kind of witty response to that is, 
if hormones cause cancer, we'd have a bunch of 20 year olds <laughs> walking around with cancer, right? Because those are the individuals, male and female with highest levels of hormones. So if it was that simple, which is not, if it was that simple, we'd have a bunch of teenagers, right? And those early college age individuals getting cancer. And then we'd have the 90 year olds with really low levels of hormones, not getting cancer, but the opposite is true. So hormones do not cause cancer. They're actually very protective. <laughs> so I have to dispel that. But where patients usually are getting that from, right, when their provider is saying hormones cause cancer, that comes from the Women's Health Initiative study, which was done on like 17,000 women yep. that did show an increased risk of cancer. However, I try to not replicate anything that was done in that study in my practice. <laughs> so in that study, they used Premarin, which is pregnant mare's urine, so horse urine, yep. which I, I want to take... And, and I'm sure your listeners want to take as well, things that are most natural, that are most easy for my body to absorb, right, digest, right, and then eliminate. And so when we're taking something that's synthetic, like pregnant horse urine, that has an entirely different molecular structure to our hormone receptor. So it's not going to fit in like a key fitting in a keyhole. That premarin isn't going to fit into our estrogen receptors appropriately. And I, I actually have in my book in chapter six, I have all of the molecular structures shown so they can see a synthetic estrogen, synthetic progestin, right? Versus natural. And even for men, the testosterone. So what was done in that study was that one non-natural synthetic hormones were used. They were horse urine and they were given orally. When you take that hormone by mouth, it has to go through the gut, right? Everything we, we take by mouth has to go through your gut and then your liver. And I think this is what I learned through my doctorate also is that a lot of the problems with cancer risk boil down to how the hormones are metabolized mm -hmm. it, from a simplicity standpoint, how the liver handles those hormones. Mm -hmm. And some of us are set up like we didn't win the genetic lottery. So some of us are set up to not be able to handle estrogen, even natural estrogen as well. Um, and, and that's where the benefit of testing comes in. And we can get into talking about urine hormone testing in a minute here. But mm -hmm. ultimately, that study misguided a lot of treatment because doctors after that study, they quit prescribing hormones that women needed for their bones and brain and heart. Right. right. <laughs> and instead, right. the number one most prescribed drug was Prozac. Right. That's when antidepressants came out. Because women needed help with their mood naturally, right? Because they were being deprived of very beneficial hormones. Mm -hmm. So from that study, uh, unfortunately, a lot of fear was elicited with prescribing hormones. So then what I have to do with my patients is re-educate them that don't worry, that's not the stuff I'm giving you. I don't want to give you the synthetic horse urine, but instead right. natural alternatives exist that will bind like a key fitting in a keyhole, that will bind to your hormone receptor appropriately. There are other forms we can give, like even the pellets, which we could talk about today if you want, which are cleared by the kidneys. They don't go through the liver at all. So you have to find a practitioner who can identify what you need based on your symptoms and labs and then find a safe way to give you hormone replacement therapy. And the the I guess the end all to that is that safe options exist. <laughs> right. Bioidentical safe options. So two things I want to touch on before I forget. So number one, I also heard that they did not screen the women that they use mm -hmm. in appropriately. The, yep. Yeah. So there were people with pre-existing conditions. There were women mm -hmm. with heart disease and already pre-existing cancers. And, and that was the, the age risk that the age category, I don't know the exact, I don't remember. I haven't looked at this in a long time, but they essentially studied the age group of women that is getting cancer, those cancers anyways. So there, there were a lot of flaws essentially with, with that study. Tons of flaws. It was one of the most expensive studies ever done mm -hmm. 
but there were tons of flaws with it. But it so did show wanna... that hormones improve bone density. <laughs> right, right. It did, did show a couple um, beneficial things, but we won't, we won't go there. <laughs> well, and imagine if we take the results from the fake synthetic hormones. So number two, my second question was, could you go over for listeners what are all of the fake hormones? Because there might still be some, oh, and, and anybody on birth control, that falls under synthetic. So can we touch yeah. on what are those synthetic ones? You mentioned yeah. Pro. So rather than mention all of the names, because there are a ton, um, yeah. if your hormone, right, you can look at your prescription, right, when you get home from work or whatever, right? If it doesn't say estradiol or estriol or progesterone, it is synthetic, right? Okay. So if your birth control says medroxyprogesterone acetate or MDPA, right? That, that's not progesterone. All of these molecules have been tweaked in a lab, chemically altered so they can be patented and sold at a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So unless your hormone says <laughs> estradiol, that's it, <laughs> or progesterone, yeah. right? Or estriol, which is another estrogen we use, then it, it's just not natural. So that's probably the easier answer to that. Well, and one thing you just said too is, is interesting. I'm seeing a lot of warnings and I even, I did write everyone, my my senator, my congressman, my representative, I wrote the mm -hmm. right, White House as well mm -hmm. on the FDA wanting to pull and basically ban compounded hormones. And you just- Scary, scary, yeah. It's scary, <laughs> but why? Because they can't patent- something that is bioidentical existing in your body mm -hmm. already. It has to be tweaked in a lab. It has, has to, to be, be man-made. Yep, exactly. Yep. That's how they make money. They'll follow the money trail. So yeah, so that's a good point as well. Okay. Thank you for that because I, I, I actually, that's so simple to look at and see if it's estradiol <laughs> or progesterone. It doesn't say that. It's, it's not. And, and the same is true for men, too. So if a woman's listening, her husband's on testosterone, right? Uh, if it says depo, like testosterone, or it, it doesn't say testosterone, it's not testosterone. Okay. That's important, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. So let's talk about testing, because I think that's the next. I, I do talk about testing, but I want to hear your version as well. Because I get this question asked a lot. Yeah. Now, I might disagree with you and we'll have a and really <laughs> nice like back and forth conversation. So tell me how you like testing hormones. Yeah. And I and I will say this, like I recognize and patients should, rec should recognize also that there's not a one size fits all approach, right? So one patient really may need saliva testing, another blood, another urine. And so you may find a provider that uh, that recommends such and such testing and that may be a good fit for you. You may have to find a different provider, <laughs> different testing. This is, I personalize my, the short answer to your question is I very much personalize testing based on what I'm trying to achieve with that patient. Okay. So, so there are saliva, blood, and urine tests that are available and I'll kind of break those down and you can interrupt or whatnot. So saliva testing can be very beneficial for cortisol. So when I'm looking at the adrenals, which many times when patients come to see me, you kind of already know like if their cortisol is high or low, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. we don't know. Uh, and I've been there. And I, I was telling you before the interview today, like I had a stressful last week with my husband having surgery and, you know, my cortisol has been like high. <laughs> really high, yeah. But, but what can happen, you know, after cortisol has been high for a long time, right? I can have a day or two like this, but if you have sustained weeks and months and seasons of your life like this, your cortisol is eventually going to crash. And so I really like 
saliva testing specifically for cortisol, where patients spit into a tube three, four, five times a day, and we see if their levels are high or low. This is great for patients who can't sleep. We can identify if the cortisol is too high at night or in the morning. If it's too low, that might be why they can't quite get kicking. This assesses the adrenals, right? So I like to think of your adrenals or I'll... I don't know which one you say is your A and your B team, thyroid and adrenals, but I don't know which order you go. But but what I'm getting at is adrenals are really important for thyroid function. So it is important to assess assess them with cortisol, with saliva to look at cortisol. Saliva can also be beneficial for cyclical hormone patterns. So if I have a patient who is having, you know, premenstrual migraines or um, they're having migraines with ovulation or whatnot. And a young cycling woman who can do saliva testing every couple days through the entire month, that's a good way to assess what's happening because they can log their symptoms along with labs for the full month. That's really tedious and it's hard to do for a full month. You know, I've done it, but there's a time and place where I will use that. But usually for sex hormones, I do check blood or I run urine testing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your listeners may be in the perimenopausal or maybe even menopausal age range. I'm I'm not sure. If you are still cycling and your provider wants to run blood testing with you, it's really important if they're especially wanting to get a progesterone level, which that's the first hormone to go. It's yeah, <laughs> with it stress, right? It's usually the first hormone we want to check. That needs to be checked one of days 19, 20, or 21 in a 28-day cycle, so about a week after ovulation. Yep. So we can do blood testing for estrone. I check estrone and estradiol. Me too. Because yeah. I see in a lot of patients, especially, I'm going to digress for a minute here, especially patients who come to me on oral estrogen, if, right. even if they're taking estradiol, their estradiol may look beautiful, their FSH is great, but their estrone is 300, 400, super high, and their providers never, ever looked at that. So yeah. I do look at estrone and, and estradiol. Typically, estrone is going to be higher in the postmenopausal woman versus a premenopausal woman, but very important to check progesterone, testosterone. Sometimes I'll check DHEA and pregnenolone as well, yeah. in, especially in younger women who they may not be ready for hormone replacement therapy, but they would take a little of their pregnenolone or the DHEA. So mm-hmm. blood testing is also excellent for thyroid that you cover very comprehensively on your show. Yeah. So there is a time and place for blood work, but it needs to be you know, appropriately timed in a, in a cycling women's cycle. For postmenopausal right. women, it really doesn't matter. Now, urine testing is my favorite, and we've alluded to a little bit of how the liver detoxifies or eliminates estrogens today, and you just simply can't see that in saliva or blood. So if a patient has endometriosis, if, which I have had, if they have fibroids and cysts uh-huh. and you know heavy bleeding, let's say they have history of breast cancers, or let me back up, not just breast cancers, but estrogen-related cancers, so ovarian, uterine, uh-huh. even yep colon and the man, even, you know, prostate, um, there, did I say breast, breast, ovarian, uterine, prostate, what am I forgetting? And colon. So any of those <laughs> cancers, if the patients are wanting to prevent future cancers or get rid of fibroids or whatnot, a lot of those, um, cancers boil down to poor estrogen metabolism, which again, we then test in the urine. But again, this sort of testing needs to be timed appropriately. So in a woman who's cycling, one of same thing, one of days 19, 20, or 21. In a in a cycle, a 28-day cycle. Sometimes patients have longer cycles or shorter, and we need to adjust that date. But as you can see, there's value, in my opinion, with saliva, with blood, and with urine. Right. No, I so I agree. I'm gonna back up. I, I totally agree with saliva and cortisol, 100 percent 
don't want really saliva with hormones because I see all kinds of skewed mm-hmm. results. I once mm-hmm. I, I, I tested a male before with saliva and his progesterone yeah. was like 2000. I'm like, no, it's not really right. It's, it's not very not volatile and it's, it's very easy for that to get screwed up. Um, but I reserve that for women who are cycling, who we really need to see what the heck is happening. You can do multiple blood draws in a month too. Sometimes yeah. here's my, here's my counter argument to, to why that can be valuable. So for, for some women, progesterone can be perfect day 19, right? When you check it and then three days later it crashes and that's when they're getting their headache. Now we can presume yeah. that's what's happening, but sometimes it's nice for patients like my engineering patients. They just need to see it on paper they need to yeah. see like exactly what's happening. What day of the month? Yeah, so those are your spreadsheet patients. Those are the ones that come in. They got, they got their Excel spreadsheet with their labs from like 2005. All <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I, I don't do that testing very often. It, it's really not needed either. So, yeah, no, I, I, and, and, and I like saliva just for the cortisol because that's really mm-hmm. the way to get that yep. accurate cortisol pattern through the day. Totally. And then blood. See, the reason why I guess I favor blood a little bit is more cost as well. Yep. Just mm-hmm. trying to save, you know, you, you do your best with the blood, you try to save money. And, the Dutch test, I agree with you. See, I'm 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 99.9% in agreement with you here. I agree <laughs> with you on the Dutch test because of the methylation. Now, with the Dutch, and you can yeah, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't use the Dutch if in in determining the dosing of bioidentical hormones. Is that correct? So yeah, so there's a, a part two to the answer. <laughs> so so we were kind of first asking about testing. So if I want to obtain baseline levels, right? These are, I can use any of the the latter that I just mentioned, but once a patient's on hormone replacement therapy, then I kind of narrow, I would narrow in that answer. So, and you may agree or disagree or whatnot. (laughs) Pellets are my favorite way to boost hormones, specifically testosterone, estrogen, and in women. And most of the pellet companies recommend dosing based on serum or on blood work. Mm -hmm. So that's what I use for pellets, period, right? Here's where we get a little more complicated. Uh, so I started doing pellets like 10 years ago. We we're the first clinic in Iowa. We've done, I don't know, like I've done like 5,000, you know, procedures a lot. We've done a lot of pellets. But before pellets, I was using a lot of what I knew was safe and effective, which wasn't oral hormones, more topical and then sublingual mm-hmm. um, hormones. So, <laughs> and I don't want to go down a huge tangent, but 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, there were a lot of different opinions on the best way to measure topical and sublingual hormone. And a lot of providers were using saliva testing and your levels would just be skewed very high. And I totally disagree with that. So what I landed on through my fellowship training is that the best way to measure ongoing therapy for a patient who's on sublingual or even topicals is the urine hormone testing. So that's more where I reserve that for because I have some patients who take sublinguals two or three times a day. They may peak and trough and peak and trough. And I want to see the total 24 hour load of that hormone kind of in the body. And mm-hmm. so that's where, you know, with my doctorate, I, I just, I'm fascinated by the urine hormone testing just, just for the information that it gives us. So for topical and sublingual use, there are cases where I will do blood testing, but there are also cases where I'll do the, do the urine hormone testing, but for pellets mm-hmm. and for like oral progesterone, what I mean, blood testing is by far the most commonly accepted and I'd say easiest to do. And yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm glad that we talked about that because there's so many 
I mean, I'll have women come in with their Dutch test and that's great. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes I even want, if they already have it, like they've already spent the money, they already have it. Then yeah. let's do blood too and compare the two. Compare. Yep. How, you know, how I've done a lot of that through the years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that too. So as we're talking about hormones and the aging process, and like you said earlier, hormones help us with longevity because mm-hmm. without hormones, basically we kind of shrivel up and die as just a slow death. So literally, to put, yeah, it, literally. To put yeah. it bluntly, that's what happens. Yeah. So can you get into how, why are hormones important to the aging process? Mm-hmm. Why can't we go without them? Because I see, I'm sure you see it too. Mm-hmm. I see women, oh my gosh, they had a hysterectomy 20 years ago and they've had literally no hormones for 20 years. Like they're all in, in the tank. They're all in the tank. And I don't even know how they're living. I know. I, I think they must feel like crap. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. many of those women probably have been put on antidepressants or sleeping pills or whatnot. And then they have bone density issues. And you know, BioT has a, they're just one of the hormone pellet companies that, that exists, but they have a, an awesome, I haven't looked at this in a while, but um, story they, they, they use it. They're training about two sisters, both of which went through, you know, menopause and, or you could even say early, early menopause. One went down the hormone route and all they needed to take was hormones and the other went down conventional medical route and she was placed on antidepressants and sleeping pills and then she gained weight. So then she was put on medication for diabetes. Oh, but then she needed an appetite suppressant uh, because <laughs> she, has, yep. she had gained weight. Oh, and then her cholesterol was high. So then she was put on a statin medication and, and it just, I don't remember the whole analogy, but you get my, my gist, right? Yep. For her to continue to age and like feel okay, she probably ended up with a handful or if not two handfuls of medications versus many times we can prevent need for all of those <laughs> by simply optimizing hormones. And so I'll get to why. So one, starting with young women, hormones help mood, helps PMS, helps our just helps us mentally stay sane. I, <laughs> our, um, or I'll say in my book, I share a little bit of my story where I ended up in the emergency room with tachycardia, very fast heart rate, was super stressed out. And I also had infertility at the same time, mm-hmm. had endometriosis, heavy bleeding, whatnot. A, a lot of this was due to low progesterone. And once I started taking progesterone, and this was in my 20s, yep. the sense of calm came over me. <laughs> I could suddenly get through my day. I could sleep. Right? And, yep. I, and I, you know, I, I had already been prescribing this to lots of patients, but then I experienced it for myself and I was like, Holy cow. <laughs> this, this is a wonder hormone. Right here. <laughs> but that's just that's just one hormone. I mean, all hormones help with mood and a lot of patients just feel more comfortable in their body. And when they feel better about themselves, they can exercise, they can take care of their family, they can make wise choices, right? So our sanity, right? Yeah. Hormones are important for that. But you kind of mentioned as we age everything dries up everything, even our eyes, (laughs) (laughs) everything dries up. So estrogen is very important for the elasticity of the skin for us to, again, have great, you know, collagen to feel good and then, and look good. Great for vaginal dryness, good for hot flushes and night sweats, right? Mm -hmm. You have to sleep to age well. And if you're not sleeping because you're having hot flushes and night sweats, whatnot, you may need some estrogen in your life. Yeah. Um, but estrogen and testosterone, I'm kind of going hormone by hormone, but I'll lump them all together for a moment. When we think of longevity, people die from heart attacks, right? They can die from falls with osteoporosis, yep. and they can die from cancers up there also. Yep. But at the end of the day, we all want to keep our faculties and our memory, right? Because like you're saying, you'd rather just age like a rock star and live to your 85 versus be in a nursing home when you're 100. Right. All of the hormones help 
with memory, cognition, right? Preventing dementia and Alzheimer's. And that's my number one goal. I don't know about you, but that's most important. So we could just, you know, drop the mic and end the show here. (laughs) The hormones help with, (laughs) with memory, but they also help with preventing cardiovascular disease. So I think the statistics are one in three women premenopausal has a heart attack and then I'm sorry, one in seven premenopausal and then postmenopausal one in three is going to die of cardiovascular disease. So hormones help back to the elasticity that I was mentioning. That also means that applies to your vessels, right? Helps your vessels not be stiff, prevents heart attack, heart disease, whatnot. So we need estrogen and testosterone for, for our hearts. Your heart is a muscle. Testosterone helps your muscles. And hormones greatly help bone density. And that may sound silly or like it doesn't matter for aging, but it actually does. I have so many women who come into my practice and all they want to do is improve their bone density. Like that's their number one goal. They don't want to take injections or medications. You know, they've seen their their mothers take medications and kind of wither away and they want to improve bone density. And I can confidently say that hormone pellets are the best best intervention I've ever seen for improving bone density. I've seen patients go from osteoporosis to osteopenia over years, osteopenia, and then they improve to normal bone density. And that is, that is amazing. There's no other medication out there that can, can build bones. A lot of the medications or goals are just to hold the bone density steady to not see a deterioration from Mm -hmm. year to year, but hormones can actually help with building bone. So I just mentioned a few things, keeping our memory, you know, helping our mood, uh, reducing cardiovascular risk and, and building bone. And so those are all very important for, for aging. So important. And let's back up with each one. So progesterone, I see low progesterone, like you said, even in women in their twenties, they're coming in looking like they're postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. And the classic presentation that I see is the woman who is on edge, agitated, and usually yep. it's another family member or friend going, what is wrong with you? Why are you so bitchy all of a sudden? And that's low progesterone. And they're yep. not sleeping. And they're yep. not sleeping. Could have and PMS, then, could have heavy bleeding, could have premenstrual headaches, but yes. Yep. Yeah, classic. That is, and, and water retention, classic mm-hmm. low progesterone. Mm-hmm. And then like you said, the low estrogen, that's going to be, Oh my gosh, sex is painful all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not lubricated whatsoever. Mm-hmm. My skin is dry. I'm aging. I, I'll hear this a lot. I'm aging quickly. Mm-hmm. And I love, by the way, Stephanie does, has on her podcast, Your Longevity Blueprint, she has a kick-ass episode about like skin and fillers and aging. And that's my peptides jam. Peptides and yeah, yeah. Peptides, I yeah. love peptides. <laughs> so yeah, that's my jam. So, but but with estrogen, when you lose estrogen, you will lose the mm-hmm. collagen and elastin in your skin. And like you said, also, you know, going one step further, vessels and mm-hmm. just everything, bone protection. You don't need a Fosamax Sally Field drug for, for bone protection. You don't need more calcium. You need estrogen. And then testosterone, Stephanie, I say on here all the time is our get shit done mm-hmm. hormone. Like without testosterone, you're not getting any shit done whatsoever. You have no motivation. Yep. You're not building muscle. You're going to lose muscle. You're not going to have a libido. So your dry vagina isn't even going to matter because you don't even want to have sex. Right. So yeah. all of those hormones literally give you life. It's like springing yep. when you have hormones. 
I say mood, motivation, drive, libido, muscle mass, all that. And then when you have proper hormone balance and you're exercising, you should be able to maintain a great weight also, right? Testosterone, because it's helping with muscle mass, it should help you burn fat and keep you at that that better weight. So, yeah, if we haven't sold the listeners on hormones, I don't know how to. <laughs> I know, right? So you mentioned weight. What happens when a woman, that, that classic postmenopausal midsection happens? What hormone is related to that? I've heard a lot of different answers to this question. So uh, the quickest answer most providers say, oh, that's cortisol, because cortisol leads to weight around the middle. But I don't think that's the full answer, because I have a lot of patients who come in and they're like, I've gained weight, but I, I, they literally feel like I'm not financially stressed. I have a great, you know, relationship. I don't feel like I'm stressed. I don't think it's, right. <laughs> I don't think it's a cortisol. Now, thyroid could be a component of that, but I think the answer is so two or threefold here. I interviewed a lot of gynecologists on my, my podcast and I also interviewed, which excellent interview there on thyroid. So thank you for coming on. Uh, but most of the gynecologists answer to that, believe it or not, they said that it wasn't necessarily one hormone that contributed. What they find is that the toxicity in those women has kind of reached its tipping point. So that throughout the years, the patient was getting by, but then suddenly they hit this kind of you know peak in toxicity and the body will create fat or fluid to store toxins to protect the internal organs. So many times those women of that menopausal age, at least their answer was, that it's not necessarily hormone imbalance, but it, it's probably that increased toxicity is driving that. Now, the increased toxicity could be driving an estrogen dominance, lower progesterone state, yeah. right? So I, I just, I think that answer is, can't be simply, that question can't be simply answered. I think there are multiple factors to that. Right. To that and answer. insulin resistance goes up. Yeah, totally, and, totally. Yeah. yeah. It could be that as well. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because that popped in my head, yeah. that midsection. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about having a hysterectomy. Well, I brought that up because I get a lot of, quite, I have mm -hmm. a lot of women that had a hysterectomy, like I said, 20 years ago, and they've gone this long without hormones. Yep. So if someone had a hysterectomy, do they need hormone replacement? I know the answer to that, but I'm going to let you answer that. So I'm going to say yes. Now, if they have a hysterectomy and they're 65, that's a little different from having it when you're 28. But I sadly also see so many patients come into my practice who had hysterectomies in their 20s and 30s. And I'm thinking, I wish I could have, you know, seen that patient and, and, and approached them from this functional medicine, you know, standpoint or perspective that we talked about, because maybe we could have prevented the, the need for the hysterectomy, but can't go back in time, only, only move forward. And so, yeah, if these patients want to keep their brains and their bones, yeah, they, they need hormone replacement therapy, natural hormone replacement therapy that's monitored by a provider who knows what they're doing. I, um, I, early in my practice, I saw a woman, I want to say she was like 24. I mean, it was just ridiculously young yeah. and she had, um, she had come to me, she'd had multiple fractures and I said, this is weird. You know, let's, I'm surprised her provider hadn't brought a bone density on her in her early twenties. She had osteoporosis. And then of course I said, this was like a, her first or second visit. I was asking her cyclical status. Well, she hadn't cycled, she hadn't cycled. So we tested her hormones and she was basically in menopause in her early 20s. And no doubt, you know, in my mind, lacking those hormones <laughs> had led to the fracture and the, the osteoporosis and the fracture. And I just think 
had I not found that for her, what would have happened? How long would it have taken for somebody to actually find this problem? And so we replaced her hormones. She moved to like Colorado or something. She moved years ago, but she was feeling amazing. I, I saw her for several years and replaced her hormones at that young age because she she needed them. Now, there are ways to boost hormones naturally in young patients. Not everyone like has to take hormone replacement therapy, but if you've literally have the organs removed that produce the hormones, then yes, the easiest way is to take the hormones. <laughs> if you still have your ovaries, we can give you herbs, supplements, nutrients to equip your body to make more hormones. But if you've had the hysterectomy, the short answer, actually, that was the long answer, is that yes, <laughs> you need replacement. So I, I do want to go into just the the tips and the nutrients to sure. help naturally with hormones. But yeah. really quickly, along your point that you just said, yeah. It's the same thing I say about having a thyroidectomy. I mean, if you have a thyroidectomy, we have to give you mm -hmm. thyroid hormone replacement therapy because you no longer have a thyroid that's making those hormones. Mm -hmm. So very similar to that, we remove your main system for producing mm -hmm. hormones. Yeah, it would be a good idea to replace those because there, there's not enough natural things we can do to all of a sudden manufacture those hormones in our body to the appropriate levels. I mean, you might get a little bit because we know some, you know, adrenals and, right. but you're not going to get that much. So when, to go back to my house analogy. So like when something's wrong with your furnace, do you just remove it and then never replace it? Like, what about your plumbing? <laughs> if something happened with your plumbing, would you just, no, like you need all those components of the home. The same is true with our body. So I just wanted to come full circle with that analogy. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that analogy. I love it. So what what would you tell people, even if you just focus on like estrogen metabolism, what three tips and nutrients help boost that? Or if you want to go into all the hormones, how about? Yeah. Well, and not everybody needs all of these, but I think the short answer to that is, I keep saying short answer. I don't know why it's just coming out of my mouth today, but <laughs> patients should have their hormones tested. They should have urine hormone testing done because then we can see if they have room for improvement in one of three departments. But those three departments um, then boil down to taking kind of these three supplements. I think you're asking for the quick, like what can patients take to improve estrogen metabolism? Yeah. So whether you have a lot of those those symptoms I mentioned earlier, like heavy bleeding and PMS or have, you know, risk for estrogen related cancers, or you're on hormone replacement therapy, it's important to know how your liver is metabolizing, eliminating, detoxifying estrogen. So three things that can help that first is cruciferous vegetables. Mm -hmm. These are the vegetables that if you literally cut, there's a crux or a cross right on the stem. So broccoli, cauliflower, kohlrabi, bok choy, um, kale, not spinach, but those, you know, those cruciferous vegetables, those right. help boost a good protective pathway and lower a uh, carcinogenic, a uh, non-protective uh, pathway. So cruciferous vegetables, there is a supplement that's kind of like taking six pounds of those vegetables a day. It's called DIM. I can never pronounce it. It's like diendyl methane or something never, like that. Yeah. So we just call it DIM. That's like eating those vegetables without the gas. Um, many, even men need this, right? So uh, DIM is very important. At least eat those cruciferous vegetables. And I'm not talking once a month, like get ahead of broccoli, eat it in two days, go get cabbage, eat it in the next couple of days, then get cauliflower. <laughs> like every week, go through multiple, um, multiple cruciferous vegetables. Secondly, methylated B vitamins. So you alluded to methylation. So 
the DIM more helps phase one estrogen detoxification. Methylation is more phase two estrogen detox pathway. So methylated B vitamins, methylated B12, B9, even B6. So taking a B complex can help also with estrogen metabolism, specifically methylation. And then there's a really dangerous um, pathway or marker we can find on urine hormone testing. It's the most dangerous. And this is the one that can lead to DNA damage and ultimately breast cancer. And that can be improved by taking antioxidants. So the literature has shown resveratrol and acetylcysteine, glutathione, which is what an acetylcysteine boost can really help that pathway. And honestly, I think everyone should be taking antioxidants anyways, right? That, that can help neutralize oxidative stress. We're exposed to radiation just with our interview today, the microphone, my mouse, my computer, my cell phone's yep. over there, right? We need antioxidants anyways. So yep. take homes are cruciferous vegetables, methylated B vitamins and antioxidants. And for the thyroid people out there, just very well cook your cruciferous vegetables. That's all. Yep. Because I yep. get that question all. Well, I thought I had to avoid them. It's like, no, you don't, just don't you eat have, a bunch of them raw. Right, right. If you cook them, and I mean, you'd have to eat, a, I mean, a lot of them raw to negatively impact the thyroid. But yeah, if yeah. you're steaming them, if you're cooking them, which most of us do anyways, you should right. be fine. I've never, I've never seen someone eat so many goitrogens that their thyroid tanked. Exactly. Personally, but yeah. Yeah, it would really take a lot. It really yeah. does take a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it, to kind of wrap up this freaking amazing interview, I just love this. I mean, this is, so, this is everything that my listeners and patients need to hear. And sometimes they need to hear from somebody else. Because if I repeat myself, I go, okay, yeah, yeah. We hear you yeah. say that all the time. It's nice to have yeah. somebody else say it too. Yep. So wrapping up, hormones, do they cause cancer? So we're going to break it. We go back to the Women's Health Initiative, synthetic versus bioidentical. No, synthetic hormones can cause cancer. And, and I, I, I should also have prefaced that question with natural hormones could also feed an existing cancer. So if someone had, you know, an aggressive breast cancer, I'm not going to give them estrogen, even though estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. I should have said that disclaimer. They could feed an existing cancer. But no, natural hormones do not cause cancer. And I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, Dr. Lindsay Berkson talks about this. There is a study out that shows that if you use estrogen for one, even one year, obviously you're probably going to want to use it more because of the benefits to yeah. your overall well-being. But if you use it for just one year postmenopausally, and it might have to be in the first, maybe in the first five to 10 years, I'm not sure, but it, it is your risk. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know yep, what I'm yep. talking about? Yeah. You want to, and ideally, immediately, a woman would take those hormones. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually reducing mm -hmm. your risk of cancer. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. And then, like you said, with the Alzheimer's, dementia, I mean, that's hard in my family. So, I need to do everything starting mm -hmm. yesterday to prevent that in the future. And it's okay to take them long term as long as you're, you know, you're monitored. I have a lot of patients who say, well, you know, I'm 60, you're starting me on these hormones. What am I going to do when I'm 90? And I say, well, I have 90 year old patients who are still taking their hormones and they're still kicking. So, you know, they, they fully believe the hormones have gotten them to that point and they have no plans to, to change course. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So you are giving our listeners some just amazing, amazing things. We'll have this all in the show notes for the podcast, but you're giving 10% off purchases at your longevityblueprint.com, including your book, your longevity yeah. blueprint. Yeah. Um, my gosh, Steph, you're giving the instant download top three tips to boost your hormones naturally. And we didn't even really get into that today. So that's, that's, that's going to be extra really low bonus back on. 
because this has been so we're bringing you back on (laughs) hands down it might just be to talk about that honestly (laughs) and then your ebook too so yeah tell us about your ebook and then obviously your book which i recommend everybody gets yeah well certainly check out i have two websites yourlongevityblueprint.com and then my clinic is ihhclinic.com and you can learn more and read about dim and the methylated b vitamins antioxidants all the things i talked about today but my free ebook i I created because many times when i lecture i'm talking about how stress is our body's biggest hormone hijacker right and that's what it did to me it robbed my body of progesterone and so I thought, well, I got to put, you know, all of my little stress management tips into uh, a beautiful ebook. And so I talk about what stress does to your body, what it does to your hormones. I talk about um, supplements, kind of lifestyle changes, just ways to help your body better adapt to stress. And so you can find that. I don't even know if I have the, I think I gave you the link, (laughs) yourlongevityblueprint.com slash creating hyphen resilience. Yep. That's amazing. You, You gave us so much. It's yeah. So we're going to put this, um, I'll post it in all of the, um, I'll post it in the show notes for the podcast when this releases. And then I will also put it on Facebook and YouTube so that they can. Well, Steph, like I said, we're going to have you back on. Cause I could die. I can't believe I looked at the time. I was like, how are we almost at the end? This is crazy. So I will definitely have you back on here. This was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I appreciate your time and your knowledge so much. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. We'll definitely have you back.